Welcome to the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Smelser. The Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast is the shared journey of building a real estate investment property business from square one. Join me as we learn together how to conquer the real estate game to reach financial freedom. Together, we will learn from people in all areas of real estate and business in our personal trek towards escaping the rat race. Be you. Do the work you love. Play the long game. Welcome back to another episode. I'm really excited today to have some great guests here. I've got Lady and uh, Lady and Kenji. These uh, these folks are awesome. They're they're making a lot of waves in the real estate world, and they're also doctors. So I don't know that I've had. I'm trying to think back. I've had nurses on the show. I don't know that I've had doctors yet. So I'm I'm excited about this because I have my my father's a doctor, my brother's a doctor, my mom's a nurse. And I, at one point, was um, going into PA school. So I've got a lot of medical in my family, but I ended up veering away and going into business because I, I'm, that's just the entrepreneur in me. But um, this is such an important conversation we're going to have because I believe there's so many medical professionals out there that have such high incomes and they have such potential to create massive, massive wealth with the money they're making but they're just working and they're not investing in the ways that we're going to talk about here. They're just sticking money in their 401k and they're not, they're not using the cool things we're going to talk about here in real estate to really grow their wealth. So I want to, I want to dive into this conversation. I want to hear your stories and how you got going in real estate. And then I want to talk about how folks that have high incomes, especially medical professionals can use real estate to save money on their taxes and build their wealth. So let's dive into your story. Tell us how you guys got going in real estate. Hey, everyone. So Kenji and I are both hospitalist physicians by training. So we uh, took care of the people in the hospital who were sick enough to stay there. And in 2015, we were newlyweds and we were kind of looking at our our future in front of us and looking at this week on week off kind of job that we had. And we knew that we wanted to have kids. And what we had seen is a lot of people around us were working week on week off and they'd stagger once they'd have kids. So we had this future kind of laid out for 20, 25 years. And we knew we weren't going to see much of it, uh, of each other, and that we weren't going to have much time for our family. So I think that's probably the, the future that a lot of you are facing when you're working 40 hour, 50 hour, 60 hour a week jobs. And so we were in that situation and we lucky, luckily read Rich Dad Poor Dad together and just saw that we could create cash flow and realized that rental properties were what we wanted so that we could replace our clinical incomes. And that was the start of it. Yeah. And I think the other thing to add to that is there were you know, the tax benefits that came with real estate investing too, which was very attractive. So not only could you generate a substantial amount of income, you could also create a tax shelter. And and as high income professionals, we have very, very few tax shelters or ability to reduce our taxes. We're in the highest tax tax brackets. And so that's what we want to do. We wanted to work smarter, not harder, and 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 keep a lot more of our income that we were making. Absolutely. So are you both still working full-time in the medical profession? Or are you 100% real estate now? So we stopped working as doctors in late 2020. 
right during COVID actually. And uh, what allowed us to do that is we actually got to financial freedom in three years after we started investing in real estate. So even after getting financial freedom, we continued to work as doctors, but then built our online course business and it had gotten so big. And then COVID hit that we just decided, you know, we had to focus on our real estate portfolio or an online business. So that was when we stopped working as physicians. Sweet. Okay. So I know there's people out there that are high income earners listening right now and medical professionals. Um, how did you make this shift from making high incomes in the medical world to going full-time into real estate? Cause that's quite the jump, right? You got these, you got, you're making quite a bit of money. And I know firsthand because I left my nine to five with a six figure income and I'm working for myself full-time in real estate. Um, there's a lot of people that are really nervous about that. So let's talk about, I guess, what you had to go through mentally and what, I guess, were there any metrics you had laid out you needed to hit to be able to make the jump? How did you guys do that? Well, I want to clarify, actually, we didn't have an intention of quitting working as physicians. Um, and I want people to hear that because I think real estate is one of those things you can do on the side and continue to work full time or part time as in you know your day job. And so you don't have to have the idea that you're going to leave your day job in order to invest in real estate. So when we first started, what we said is let's replace both our clinical incomes in seven years and we'll continue working as doctors. There was no idea that we were actually going to completely stop. That wasn't our intention when we first started out. And as I mentioned, after three years, we had enough income coming in that we realized we actually didn't need to continue working as physicians, but we chose to. We actually continued to choose to do that for years afterwards because we enjoyed it. Um, and so one of the keys with our rapid growth and why we were able to do this so quickly was, like Kenji mentioned, tapping into those tax savings. Because what we were doing is we were we got him to get real estate professional status, which is um, is related to long term rentals. And so we had him cut back the first year to get real estate professional status. And then we were able to save so much on taxes by sheltering both of our incomes that we reinvested that every single year. And that's how we were able part of the reason we were able to grow our portfolio so quickly. Yeah, one thing I wanted to add to that was, you know, you had, you had talked about, you know, what kinds of shifts do we have to make mentally? And I think that was a big part of it is the mindset. And one of the things that uh, I remember Leiti did early on was she identified herself as a real estate baron. And that shift is subtle, but it's actually really important because uh, we run into a lot of students who go through our courses who who have this mindset of, you know, I'm, I'm just a newbie, right? And what we realize is that, you know, you show up very differently if you call yourself a real estate baron versus a newbie, because if you're, if you're, if you think of yourself as a newbie, then you act like a newbie in when you're meeting with your agent, for example, your property manager, whereas Leite was like, you know, I'm going to build a big portfolio. So you're going to want to work with me. And it was just a, it was just a very, very different approach. And in, and, and, and the other really important thing was we had a clear goal in that first year. We said, we want to generate enough tax savings and also income to uh, to replace the income that, that I was losing because I'm the one who became the real estate professional in order to achieve real estate professional status. You do have to cut back to a certain degree because you have to do more real estate than, uh, than your day job. And so... Uh, so cutting back meant lower income, but I want, we wanted to replace that. So we went out and bought enough rental properties to replace that clinical income with cash flow, as well as the tax savings from sheltering all of our income. I love it. I love it. Now this, 
real estate professional status, uh, real estate professional status, gaining that status is an important part of this. And this is something with my clients on the short-term rental side, I've tried to explain to them, you have to get qualified as a real estate professional to be able to take this accelerated depreciation in excess of the minimum or the maximum allowable for someone that's not a real estate professional. And so that's something that if you're listening to this and you're interested in the strategy, you can talk to a CPA make sure you talk to a CPA that knows real estate investing. Cause I've talked to CPAs before that will tell you that you can't qualify regardless if you're working in something other than real estate. That's not the case. You have to have more hours. Like Kenji was just saying, you have to have more hours working in real estate than in the other job. But make sure you find someone that actually knows this stuff well when you go talk to a, uh, a CPA about this because there is a lot of tax savings available here. Um, by using this real, real estate professional status and accelerating depreciation on my properties, I've saved six figures in taxes multiple years. And I know you guys use the same strategy. So this is an extremely powerful wealth leverage tool that's available to you. So let's let's talk about that real quick. Let's talk about qualifying as a real estate professional and being able to take this accelerated depreciation. Yeah. Um, and I just wanna I actually want to clarify a little bit. So what you said is exactly right. You know, talk to your CPAs. We're not CPAs, but we can tell you what we've done. Yes. Um, so there are really two statuses. There's real estate professional status, and there then there's something that we like to call the short-term rental tax loophole. So two separate statuses. So real estate professional applies to long-term rentals. And the IRS considers short-term rentals to have an average length of stay of seven days or less. So long-term rentals are considered to have an average length of stay of eight days or more. So these are the traditional, you know, you get a renter for a whole year, but this also covers midterm rentals, which a lot of people do in our community where they'll have someone staying for 30 or 60 or 90 days. And for those people with short-term rentals, or they believe they're short-term rentals, if you have a lot of longer stays in your short-term rentals and your average length of stay over the course of a calendar year goes over seven days, then that's considered a long-term rental by IRS definition. So you really want to be thoughtful about your length of stay. So that first year when Kenji and I started, we got we got Kenji real estate professional and we were buying traditional long-term rentals. We were buying small multifamily duplexes and fourplexes. And what we did was we had him cut back in real estate so that he worked in uh, cut back at his day job. So he worked in real estate more than he did as a doctor. So we tracked our he, we tracked his hours and we made sure that greater than 50 percent of his time was spent in real estate. And then also that he was doing over 750 hours a year in real estate, 500 hours of which had to be on our own portfolio. So we had to go buy enough properties so we could justify that he was meeting all that all those parts of that criteria for real estate professional. And what that allowed us to do is take all our losses and shelter our active income, our W-2 income from taxes using those losses. Now, with short-term rentals, um, what we see in our community and also what we've done is it's it's actually much more lenient because you don't have to do real estate more than 50% of your time. So this is why short-term rentals are so attractive for high-income professionals who are working full-time and maybe love their jobs and don't want to cut back. And what our people in our community do with that is, first of all, they need to make sure their property is going to have an average length of stay of seven days or less over that calendar year. And if they're buying one property, what they're usually doing is they're putting in 100 hours and greater that first year 
and they're doing more than anyone else. So that's kind of the key is more than anyone else. So when we did it for one of our short-term rentals, what we did was we did a very small rehab because we didn't want the contractor to do more time than us. We also self-managed it because we didn't want to have a property manager or a cleaner to do more than anyone else. And so we just did that 100 hours and more than anyone else that first year. And that allowed us to take bonus depreciation and shelter our income from, from taxes. Another thing that people do in our community is when they go out and buy multiple short-term rentals or they have a portfolio of multiple short-term rentals, they'll do 500 hours or more in a, in a calendar year. So they won't have to do more than anyone else. They'll just have to group all their hours spent on their short-term rentals. And that, again, allows you to shelter active income with the write-offs for your short-term rentals. Yeah, and you can actually do both. So you can actually qualify for real estate professional and the short-term rental tax loophole. Again, just depends on that length of stay that Leiti was talking about. And using the combination of those two, what we've been able to do over the last seven years, so seven years in a row, we paid zero in federal income taxes. Uh, state income taxes, we lived in Washington at the time, so Washington has no state income tax. So, um, so huge tax savings over those years. And so you can imagine when you eliminate your single biggest expense, uh, that can help you really grow your wealth quickly. Right. I absolutely love it. And that was a great distinction you made between the real estate professional status and the short-term loophole. I'm glad you mentioned that because that is huge as well. So if you can't qualify for real estate professional status, there's still the short-term tax loophole where if you're doing what they just said, you can still take advantage of accelerating this depreciation. And so last year, you could do 100% of bonus depreciation. This year, it's 80%. Next year, it goes down to 60%. So they're they're phasing out the bonus depreciation piece. So this has been extra sweet over the last few years, right? And it's it's it creates a domino effect and it's it's a it's a flywheel effect where you save the money on the properties and you go buy another property and you accelerate the depreciation, you save your taxes again. And so instead of paying massive 200 grand in taxes, you're using that 200 grand to go buy a million dollar property and you're using that depreciation to shelter the taxes again and go buy more real estate. And this is why this one trick by itself will make you a millionaire if you just hang on to your properties. If they'll cash flow, I mean, you're saving so much in taxes alone that this is a game ch complete game changer. And it, it grieves me that more people don't know about this. And this is why I've been pounding the table on this, trying to tell everybody. And I know, I mean, I've got friends that are making a lot of money that are fearful that if they do this, they're going to do something wrong and they're going to make a mistake and that the IRS are going to come down on them or something. What do you tell people in your courses that are taking your courses on how to do this that are that are fearful they're going to mess this up? Like, how do you instill people with confidence when they go to do this? Yeah, I mean, the first one is that the government has set up the tax structure the way that they did to incentivize business owners and specifically real estate investors. So the government wants you to do this. That's why they've set it up the way that they have. And so we really encourage everybody to take the tax savings that you legitimately should get because the government wants you to actually do that. Then we're... Um, we're very clear during in our courses in our community that we all track our hours. We've talked to a lot of different CPAs about this, and we actually all track our hours for long-term rentals and short-term rentals separately. We we track them down to the minute. We track them every single week. We track the activities that we're doing. And so if you're ever in a situation, if you get audited, you really have records you can just hand right over. And like you mentioned earlier, it is not unusual for people to save over six figures in taxes in one 
one year with their properties. It's actually quite easy to do, to be honest. Um, we've done it using the 100 hours and more than anyone else with a short-term rental and uh, not a lot of work 100 hours if you're saving multiple six figures in taxes. Yeah. And the other thing that we, we, we teach and we talk about a lot is taking it very seriously, right? You got to literally take on that identity that you are actually a real estate investor and not a clinician anymore. Like literally on the tax form, you know, I write, I'm a real estate professional and that's what I did this year. And that's what I do every year. And, uh, and it's really, it's really important. And if you do wear that hat, uh, then you're thinking about your rental properties like a business. You're always thinking about ways to increase the income and decrease expenses. And if you ask yourself those questions, how can I increase the income of my property? How can I decrease expenses? You can come up with a million ways to do that. And uh, again, all you're doing is you're running your Properties like a business, and as a result, you should have no shortage of opportunities to generate the hours you need. Yeah, I love that. Uh, it's it's so true. In real estate investing, there's so many ways you can increase your bottom line. People always think about increasing income, but decreasing taxes, which is an expense uh, that's coming out before the money hits your bank account as profit. That's another way to massive, massively juice your return on investment. So I would like for people to stop only thinking about increasing revenue and think about how to save money on the other end of, of things. And when you're a high earner, uh, a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, whatever else you're making a lot of money, entrepreneur, you know, there are tax benefits to be had here by using these things that have been mentioned here. And it's very, very power, powerful. So, um, Let's talk about this. You guys mentioned you were you were in medicine. You got interested in real estate. Um, you you lowered your hours down so you could qualify as a real estate professional. Um, and then, lady, you were still working. Are you were you still working as a doctor at, the, at that time? Okay. So yeah, you still and, had, and so was Kenji yeah. too. Yeah, actually. you he still had your full time income. Kenji had a part time, mm -hmm. right? He was doing part time. Mm -hmm. Okay, yep. and then you're also doing this real estate thing. How many years from the time you started that to being full-time in real estate? How long did that take you? So we, I, I have to be frank, have never been full-time in real estate because we have this online business too. Um, and so Kenji is CEO of our real estate portfolio. We have over 150 doors now in multiple states, um, but even that isn't full-time. So again, I want people to hear this, like real estate is a great add-on that does not have to be full-time. Um, and one other thing that I just want to mention, because I, I'm sure there are people out there thinking this is, well, what if what if my market around me isn't great? Like, could I still do the short-term rental tax loophole? You know, should I could I still do real estate professional? And I just want to speak to these people too and say, absolutely. Um, you know, we very commonly have people in our community who buy a short-term rental in a different state. They, you know, go through the process of buying and doing due diligence, which takes a number of hours. Then they maybe they fly out there and they set up their property for a week and they're getting the hundred hours in more than anyone else. You know, and we, as, as I mentioned, got real, Kenji got real estate professional that first year. Well, you know, a lot of our, all of our properties that year were in state, but now we have properties all across the country and he still gets so many hours like this is this is not the I just want people to know they're not limited to only investing around them. Absolutely. Yeah. My personal portfolio is all out of state. So, well, mm -hmm. I take that back. I do have I have I have six vacation rental cabins on a lake here in Alabama, but the rest of my stuff's in Tennessee. Before that, it was all in Texas. So, yeah, don't be scared to invest out of state. 
Um, now you mentioned you're you're running your online business. Is that all? Is that courses that you mentioned off the off the episode, or what is your online business? Yeah, so we started semi-retired MD as a blog in 2018, and in 2019, um, we started doing online courses teaching doctors and high-income earners how to invest in real estate, how to build their own portfolios, and we like to think of it as teaching people how to fish for themselves. Uh, when you remember in, I'm sure you've met read uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad by oh, yeah. Robert Kiyosaki. He talked so much about financial literacy and how when you have it yourself, you know how to make money outside of your day job. No one can ever take that away from you. You are literally free because you have multiple ways of creating money for the rest of your life. That's what we're really, really passionate about. And that's what I love about your podcast and what you're doing. You're you're showing people how they can create this other source of income so that they don't rely on anyone else and they can get through any economy and anything that happens in their lives. It's so valuable to have multiple sources of income. So true. It's such a game changer when you tap into the multiple streams of income. Like for instance, right now, my appraisal income has gone down significantly. My brokerage income has gone down significantly. Two years ago, the last couple of years, my brokerage income from selling vacation rental cabins in the Smokies was through the roof. I mean, I, I had a, I just had my phone ringing off the hook with people wanting to buy cabins. Well, now that rates have gone up a little bit and people a little more um, nervous about the economy and their jobs and their savings. There's deals popping up on the vacation rental side, but there's not as many people wanting to buy right now. So brokerage stuff has slowed down. The appraisal stuff has slowed down, but my income from my real estate portfolio is doing great. So that multiples, and I, there's a couple other things I'm, you know, I have royalties and stuff on some other stuff, but the, the multiple streams of income has been a savior for me as an entrepreneur right now. And it was the same thing uh, in 2019, 2020, right? Um, because you had businesses being closed and all this other stuff. I had multiple streams of incomes again. So this idea of not just having one source of income, if it's your W2, not to, not to put, not, not to make you fearful, but if it's your W2, you could lose your job. If it's only from rental properties and you've only got one or two, they go vacant. That's a big deal, right? But if you create multiple streams of income, You've just diversified your risk in a great way, and now, uh, you know, with lower risk and, and and ample cash flow, that that creates a sustainable thing for you where you can reinvest and build your business. So um, let's talk about your course because I want to make sure we hit on that, and then I want to talk about your book, which is really exciting. Let's talk about your course, your courses right now that you offer. Uh, let us know about that. Yeah, the real foundation of our courses is a course called Zero to Freedom, and. The idea with the course is that we take somebody who knows little or nothing about real estate and we take them through buying their first property. So by the end of the course, you know, we want people to feel really confident uh, that they have the knowledge, the skills, um, the experience, the team uh, to go out and buy that first property confidently. And, and that really is going from zero to freedom because once you learn how to buy that first property, uh, then you're free because you can replicate that over and over again and build up, build out your portfolio. And, and so that's really the core. And, and, it, and it, it's not just long-term rentals. It could be applied to short-term rentals, any, any type of income producing property, uh, you can apply, uh, the principles that you learn in zero to freedom. And then from there, what we have our, our another core product is our membership site where people who want to continue learning with us after they finish the course and they actually want to go from 
you know, buying that first property to building their empire, uh, they can join our membership site called Empire Builders. And so there's a journey in there where we take people from their first rental property all the way to building their empire, which we define as having cash flow of greater than 250,000, uh, which is, you know, enough to replace uh, position income. And so that's kind of the journey that we take them through. And uh, that is also content, community. Uh, and then, of course, we have some more masterminds as well, some more uh, uh where people can continue to learn with us and uh, grow their portfolio even faster. Yeah, and then Kenji didn't mention Accelerating Wealth, which mm-hmm. is our short-term rental course, uh, which teach people how to buy and operate a profitable short-term rental and be able to tap into some of the benefits of short-term rentals, which you know are that higher cash and cash return potential compared to long-term rentals. And then what we've been talking about all here, which is the easier way to tap into those tax savings and shelter your W-2 income from taxes. Yes, I love it. I love the hustle you guys have. You guys have built all these courses out and you, do you say 150 doors? Did I catch that? Mm-hmm. 150 yeah. doors. Tell me about your 150 doors. Are those single families, vacation rentals, apartments? What is that? Yeah, so so they all started out as single family, duplexes, fourplexes, and uh, and 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 that was the case for like the first three years. And uh, we were talking about mindset and I had this mindset of like, oh, uh, I kind of got, we, I actually got stuck, not late to you, but I got stuck there at that point because I, it was like scaling the portfolio, the thought of going out and buying these bigger properties, it just didn't feel possible to me for whatever reason. And so, uh, you know, I got rid of that limiting belief. And then from there, three years into it, then we started scaling up and we started buying 20, 30 doors, uh, 30, 30 unit properties, 40 unit property. Um, and then more recently, we bought 160 properties. And now we're actually syndicating. Uh, we have over a thousand syndicated units, which means that, you know, we're, uh, we're you know, we're buying properties uh, and raising the money from passive investors to help us acquire those properties. And so we really, we didn't include that. That's not part of the 150. That's an additional thousand units of syndicated units that we own as well. I love it. I love it. So did you work your way up to 150 doors before you did your first syndication or, or were you, were you partnering with private in, or investors as joint ventures on these or how, how did you build this? Yeah. So, you know, first it did start out with uh, jumping to a 32 unit. And then after that, uh, we identified a 160 unit property. And that was a combination of partnering with people, as well as uh, raising the money. And so the partners brought in a considerable amount of money, including ourselves, and then uh, then we raised the rest of it. And so it was kind of a, uh, that's kind of how we eased into, we didn't have to raise as much as uh, one of these other properties more recently that we're buying, which is predominantly investor money, passive investor money. Uh, for the 160 unit, you know, we, we were buying it uh, with a lot of our own money as well. So yeah, so we kind of worked up to it. And now, yeah, now a lot of our properties are these bigger 100 plus unit properties where, yeah, we're raising uh, and syndicating. I love it. I love it. Let's talk about the limiting belief part of this. You hit on that just a second ago. This is huge for everyone. There's no one that doesn't struggle with limiting beliefs at some point. Uh, I even heard Grant Cardone talking about how he didn't believe he could do X, you know, and then his, someone he was talking to challenged him and said, why can you not do that? Um, what helped you overcome your limiting belief of what you thought was possible with this? Well, 
So I I didn't have as many limiting beliefs <laughs> to start out with. And I think the key, and I don't know how I did this, but I think the key was taking on a different identity. Um, like Kenji mentioned, um, I took on the identity very early on before we had built any sizable portfolio at all that I was going to be a real estate baron. And so when I walked around in the hospital, people would be like, hey, what are you up to? What are you doing this weekend? I'd be like, I'm becoming a real estate baron. Kenji was so embarrassed, so embarrassed. He was like, what are you doing in the hospital? But literally when I went to talk to the property managers and we had two units, I was like, hey, we're we're building an empire here. You want to be part of it. And I'm going to start negotiating with you now about how many units it's going to take me to be able to lower your prices. So that identity piece is so fundamental. And you can develop that identity piece before you even have any results around you to prove it because it all starts in your mind. And so I would encourage all of you guys to get a clear vision of what it is you want and then start taking on that identity today and start acting like it and start carrying yourself like it because that's really what allows others to get on board with you. And then also you're starting by leading yourself and you're going to have a lot more success if you have a clear vision of where you're going and take on that identity right now. Yeah, I think the other thing is that you really have to be honest with yourself and recognize when you are having these limiting beliefs. And oftentimes these limiting beliefs are based in fear. And so it's 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 oftentimes fear of the unknown. You've never done it, so you know, you're gonna you're gonna be fearful. And I always kind of think about you know, our kids. And if you guys have kids uh, who people are listening to this, uh, you're probably always, always encouraging them to do things they've never done before. Right. Uh, and, and sometimes they're going to probably come to you and say like, I don't want to do this. And the reason is fear, right? They've never done it. They're afraid to do it. And you're probably going to push them to do something they've never done before uh, or encourage them. So same thing, right? I mean, you can apply that to any adult. You can apply that to Grant Cardone. It doesn't matter if he's a billionaire, right? He's going to also have limiting beliefs depending on what it is. You know, for Grant Cardone, it's going to be maybe something bigger because he's done so much, right? So, uh, but for somebody who is just growing their portfolio, it's going to be, first of all, putting in an offer. That's a big step. A lot of people are afraid to put in an offer on an investment property. The next step is actually buying that first property and dealing with your first tenant, right? So there's always going to, there's going to be new, new fears that come about. And what's cool is that confidence comes from overcoming these fears, right? It doesn't mean that you get rid of them. It means that you push forward, you push through those fears and you do it anyway. Just, just like you would encourage your kids to push through the fear, do it anyway. And then once they do it, they go, Hey, that wasn't so bad. Or, you know, that was tough, you know, but I did it. And that's what creates that confidence. And so, um, the more, you know, the more, kind of you go out there and do these difficult things, the more confidence you'll have. And that's what, you know, that's what, how we think about zero freedom is that we put you through all these different experiences, put in an offer, you know, buy that first property. And at the end of it, you'll have that confidence to build your portfolio. Yeah. Well, can what Kenji's talking about is increasing your threshold of control, mm-hmm. right? You, you push yourself, you grow, you you do something you didn't think you could do, and now you have a bigger threshold of control and you continue to do that. And like Kenji mentioned, limiting beliefs will come up uh, you know, no matter where you are in your portfolio. And when you hear yourself say, I can't, or that the world only works in a certain way and that's why you can't do something, that's a key to you that you have a limiting belief there. Because if you, if you start to believe you're resourceful and you can do anything, then then that's a different way of living. I totally agree. I love it. Yeah, the I, I think the best part of facing down your limiting beliefs and pushing through them is who you become right? The money's great when you become a real estate baron. The money's awesome. But who you became going from 
no real estate wanting to do it to the real estate baron, that's worth way more to me. That's where, that's where it is. Cause like you said before, you could take it all away and you've got the skill set to build it again. And that's what it's about. You became a different person. You leveled up as a human being and you faced down those limiting beliefs. And that to me, you find a person that is struggling with purpose and that is directionless. They don't have hope, right? They've lost hope, generally speaking. So there's, there's generally limiting beliefs that they have that are keeping them from taking action and chasing their dreams. What would make them come alive is facing down those limiting beliefs and leveling up as a person. That's what they need to get them out of that rut. And I just want to, I want to tell everyone listening to this, if you have limiting beliefs right now and you're thinking, man, I should have bought vacation rentals five years ago. I should have bought real estate five years ago. We've all been there. We all started wishing we had bought real estate five years ago. You need to take action now, even though rates are high, you can still find deals. There's still deals out there. And if you commit yourself to taking action, even if you don't find a property this year, let's say you find a property next year, you will have still started that process of leveling up and conquering your limiting beliefs. And that's where it's at. That's where the value is, is becoming the person that you're meant to be and not living in fear of, of failure, right? And this is something I heard an entrepreneur, I think it was Jeff, Jesse Itzer, heard him say this. He said, in our household, we tell our kids, we celebrate their failures. And I, I adopted that with my kids. Like I tell my kids, Hey, go try this. And if it's, if it's a total disaster, that's okay. I mean, I'm happy if you guys go out there and are terrible at whatever it is you're trying to do. And I'm happy if you, you succeed at it, but it's the fear of failure that will keep people from even trying something. And my kids have tried different things and they've discovered things they're really good at that they didn't know they would be good at. Right. And they've also failed at some things. And I think one of the very best things that can happen for kids is to develop that, that tough skin, that tenacity against failure, right? Like you have to be willing as an entrepreneur to fail and fail forward and learn and pick yourself up and keep going. No real estate investor I've ever met has had nothing but wins, right? So, so let, let's talk about that. Tell me some things that have been challenging for you guys in this process. Like what, what was hard on you going from, I know it was hard to get, I know it was hard to get through the med school piece to become doctors, right? What was hard about building your real estate portfolio that you have now? So first of all, I want to say mic drop, a <laughs> virtual high five, man. That was awesome. That was an incredible soliloquy. It was so many different nuggets in it. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've all dealt with failures along the way. There are investments we've made that we call them learning experiences because there are so many mistakes, but as long as you learn from them, they are not not uh, lost, right? There's something to be gained. And so, yeah, we've bought properties we shouldn't have purchased. We've, we've kept contractors longer than we should have. Like, there are so many things that... Uh, we've done along the way that, of course, it'd be nice to be able to reverse, but those things have increased our threshold of control, like we were talking about. And we're so much better real estate investors because of it. We really look at it as, you know, that Ryan Holiday book, The Obstacle is the Way. Yes, it's I love each that of book. These challenges, right? It's such a good book. It, each of these challenges is a growth opportunity. If everything was always easy, you would never grow. You would never grow and you'd never become more. And you just talked about becoming more and that really being the key. And we wholeheartedly subscribe to that. We are different people than we were, you know, seven, eight years ago. And we've we have 
tapped into so much more of our potential. And that's really the most beautiful thing I think you can do as human being is to tap into your potential and give more and do more for the world. Um, and that's that's what we've done because we had challenges along the way. I love it. I love it. I mean, think about how much potential, just the people listening to this right now, the people that will watch this, think about how much untapped potential there is there. I mean, it blows my mind. Like you look at your own life and you're like, you look at times in your life where you didn't take the chance or you didn't do the thing that you wanted to do because you were scared of failure. You were worried about what might happen. Think about all the, all the athletes out there that could have played professional sports, all the people that could have been great musicians, great actors, great writers, great business people, great entrepreneurs that are sitting at their nine to five, terrified to make the first move, you know? And I just want those people so much to, to experience the joy that we've experienced by doing this stuff that we're doing. And it's, it's not all, it's definitely not all easy. It's definitely not easy, but it's so rewarding. And I want that for everybody. That's why I do this podcast, do this YouTube show. I want everybody to get that in their life. I want them to be able to, to reach that freedom, that financial freedom. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's exciting stuff. So let's talk about a really, another really exciting thing you guys are working on, which is your new book life on your terms. Tell me about this book. Yeah. So this book we, we wrote to help doctors and high income earners just be able to see the path of how to do this because, uh, we're always taught to invest in your 401k, put your head down, work harder. Like that's all you can do. And you can do so much more and you can have that opportunity to build another source of income on top of working full time in real estate. And so Actually, we wrote it as a fable. I don't know if you know about Patrick Lencioni, but he's like one of my favorite writers of all time. He writes such good business books and he writes them all as fables. And so they're so easy to read and they're so engaging. And so that's how we wrote Life on Your Terms. It's a story of uh, a dual physician couple and then another physician and his wife. And the dual physician couple goes and they invest in real estate and they build this portfolio. And we put in all kinds of drama, like all kinds of those cha challenges that you face along the way. You know, we had, we house hacked once, we had squatters in there. I put it in there. You know, some of the stuff that our students have gone through, some challenges, we put it in there so we could teach all the mindset work that you need to be a successful investor. And so you watch this couple go and build this portfolio. And then you watch the other couple who just works harder and gets kind of caught up in buying liabilities and working harder to support their liabilities. And you follow them along for five years and you get to see what happens. And so we're so excited about having this book out there and getting it in front of more people who can learn so many of the fundamentals of real estate and mindset work that you need for real estate through just reading an engaging story. Yeah, that's awesome. I did buy your book, by the way. I have not finished it yet, but I'm, I'm excited to work my way through it. I love, I love what you guys did with this. Did you guys write this together or one of you write it or? Actually, I wrote it. Um, yeah, but I put Kenji's name on it because, you know, fundamentally together, we built all of this. You know, when we built all the pieces, uh, which we call the fast fire system of how to get to financial freedom so quickly, like we built all this together. So it was a very easy book to, to build, uh, to write based largely on our own experience uh, growing our real estate portfolio. Yeah. I love it. And the, the book was the best set, the best, the best seller list, right? 
Yeah, it did. And that's just our community is so supportive, such good people. And uh, and what we wanted to give to your listeners is we have a download. Um, there's a website called semiretiredmd.com forward slash L-O-Y-T. So that's life on your terms forward slash. And if you go to that site, you can actually uh, submit your receipt for a life on your terms and you can get a free mini course um, called Ignite Your Journey. And so we wanted to make that available to your listenership. That's normally a $200 course for free. That's awesome. I will, uh, I, no problem. I'll stick the the link that they're talking about here in the description so you guys can find that in the show notes. Um, super, super cool. Hey, I want to ask you, uh, I don't have a lot of doctors on the show that invest in real estate. Um, as, as a, you know, I have, like I, like I told you guys, I have a lot of medical professionals in my family. And one thing I've noticed with doctors especially is, they delay gratification to get through med school. They work their tails off. They go through all that grueling stuff that doctors go through until to become doctors. Then they get out of med school and they start spending money like crazy. Like, what do you tell doctors that don't own any real estate? What do you tell them about that? Because that to me is like, if you, I, like I told my brother, I was like, you have such a high income. If you would take just a fraction of your income and start buying real estate every year, you would you would quickly out outpace your your current income with your real estate income. And it's just something, and he's not even that big of a spender. Like some of these other doctors, it's like they buy everything the biggest and, and baddest they can buy the second they become doctors. And it's like they're on that hamster wheel of just working and and using all the money to pay for their expenses. So what do you guys tell people that are that are new? medical professionals doing that. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we call those, you know, golden handcuffs, right? I mean, it can apply to any, uh, you know, any, any, any high income earner, you know, who has that delayed gratification, they go through schooling, you know, uh, I was just looking at the statistics, the average medical school debt is $250,000 when you get out. Right. So, and, and you're oftentimes in your kind of mid to late twenties, uh, by the time you start to actually get an income if you're in a surgical specialty you'd be in your 30s and so you know you get get started late and then you had that delayed gratification and they want to go out and do this but uh you know that uh, you know ultimately you know uh, yeah we we say you got to resist that temptation uh and uh and invest right um of course you know we we, we have something called the fast fire system one of the components of that is experience the money which is that you know you have to enjoy the journey along the way um and so uh, you know, maybe enjoy some things, but uh, but definitely, like you said, set aside some money so that you can uh, build for your future. So important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think having having a clear vision of where you're going and why is really key because, like I mentioned, we had a clear vision. We wanted to replace both our clinical incomes in seven years. And why? Well, because we wanted to spend time with our kids. And we had this, this really compelling vision of what we wanted our future to look like. So if you have that and you get a choice, you know, should I buy a car or should I buy a duplex? It becomes very clear, buy a duplex. So if you start with uh, what do you want and very clearly with measurable outcome and why do you want it? I think that will help a lot of you to be able to make those day-to-day -day decisions that you need to make to curb your spending so that you can invest and you can build this other source of income. Yes, I love that. Yeah, the car or the duplex scenario is something that, that you know, I've, I come, I've come across a lot in my own life. Um, even now with having my income, uh, having gone up so much because of my real estate, 
um, I still have the same dilemma where, you know, a chunk of money comes in and I'm like, I could go buy a new car or I could buy more real estate. And I, I've, I look at it this way, you know, my why is that I want to help a lot of people in, in poverty. And so I want to build my business to the point that there's so much money coming from my business that I can give a lot of money to help a lot of people. So that makes that buying a new car much, the, the opportunity cost of that for me, it's, it's very high at this stage in my life. Um, we did buy a new car when our last car, you know, basically, basically bit the bullet, but, um, we didn't go crazy buying the car we bought, but I could buy a lot nicer car and I'm delaying gratification there because my why I want to map my actions to my why, which is I want to build this thing up to help a lot of people eventually with a nonprofit that I want to, I want to build. So all that to say, you know, if you want to become financially free through real estate investing and you have 50 grand sitting in the bank, you know, and you, and you're thinking about buying a car, like think really, be really thoughtful about what you're doing there because that 50 K could start the whole real estate financial freedom train for you. Whereas the car is, <laughs> the car is going to lose money the second you drive it off the lot and it's going to be breaking down on you. And over time it's going to go to zero and that 50 grand is gone. And you worked really hard for that 50 grand. You traded your time for that 50 grand. And so you're spending your time to buy that car. So the think through the opportunity cost of the decisions you're making. Um, just like these two have and have done so well with uh, how they've invested instead of, I can tell you guys have been really wise on how you've invested because you've built these courses, got all these properties, you've written this book, and you were able to build your income up to the point that you got to leave the medical profession, which is outstanding. So this has been phenomenal. Thank you guys so much for sharing your story with my audience and with me. It's inspiring to me. And um, tell the the listeners where they can find out more about you, how they can get involved in your course. Um, I'm assuming the book's on Amazon. Tell them how they can find out more about you. So you can find us at semiretiredmd.com and our book is called Life on Your Terms and it is on Amazon, so it should be pretty easy to find. And we, again, we have our two courses and you can find that on our website and join our waitlist. Zero to Freedom is released several times a year and everybody moves through together and Accelerating Wealth is going to be evergreen. So you can buy it at any time if you're interested in learning about short-term rentals. And I'm sure you can have you know, you'll have your own links you can throw into the show notes. And so thank you guys for all of your time and for all the great questions. My goodness, that was, that was really, really fun, really fun. And I, I can see we're so aligned. It's very cool. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's been such a pleasure having you both on the show. I, I really appreciate your time. I love what you're doing. Let me know how I can best help you guys as you go forward and keep building this this uh, machine you guys have built, which is, is super inspiring and, and awesome to see. And folks, um, thanks for tuning in for another episode. Um, get, get in the show notes and, and um, all these links are going to be there. And until next time, we'll see ya. <laughs>